The following message is presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Now the message. Good morning, First Baptist Manny. It is great to be with y'all this morning. Uh, Glad to drive down from Shreveport this morning and uh, get the opportunity to bring the word for y'all today. Uh, Again, sorry that my wife couldn't be here, but nursery duty calls. Uh, But I am just so grateful to be here and grateful for you uh, because whether you know it or not, you help uh, carry out our ministry uh, in Shreveport. I know y'all think of the uh, NSU BCM as y'all's BCM. It is the one in y'all's area, but y'all's support of the Louisiana Baptist Convention keeps all our BCMs going. So let me say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for that. Uh, now, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open those up to Luke 19. We're going to read a familiar story. Very familiar. I hope we'll see it in a fresh light by the time we are done this morning. Uh, let's see, as you're turning there, let's see who grew up going to a Southern Baptist church. Uh, there's an old song, I can't sing, so I'm, I'm not going to sing it, but uh, there's an old song that starts off by saying, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and he... Okay. First off, that's the loudest anybody's saying all morning. So we're off to a great start already. But, uh, now there's also a bit of controversy at the end. Does, did, did y'all learn it, uh, I'm, for I'm coming to your house today? Okay, see, at my, my home church, Mansfield Baptist Church, Mansfield, Georgia, there is a Mansfield, Georgia, believe it or not, and it's smaller than Mansfield, Louisiana, if you can imagine. Uh, we actually learned I'm coming to your house for tea. Because it just bothered the lady that taught our VBSs every year that it, it didn't rhyme. And so she always changed it. But we all know this story more from the song than from the scripture. Uh, because Luke has a very uh, important purpose in composing his gospel the way that he does. And including Zacchaeus and his story in Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. So what I'm going to do for us is I am going to read our passage, we'll pray real quick, and then we're going to look at this passage in its context where Luke puts it so that we can see uh, the, the, the real depth here. Because it we make it into a fun story for, for the kids, right? There's a short man and he climbs a tree. But there's so much more going on here that Luke wants us to be aware of, just like he did for his original audience. So let me read for you the, the, just the first ten verses real quick, then we're going to pray and we're just going to walk through the passage together. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 19, He, that's Jesus here, entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. And so he ran ahead of him and climbed up into a sycamore tree, uh, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, Half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, 
I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father God, in the next few moments we ask that your word would speak for itself. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have here the familiar story. Uh, The short man named Zacchaeus meets Jesus. However, the story's context, and this is something important I teach my college students at the BCM, we read scripture in context. And one of the most important contexts is its literary context. Why did the Holy Spirit inspire Luke to put Zacchaeus' story right here in the gospel? Well, here's why. Because there's been an, an important question asked at the end of chapter 18. You see, Zacchaeus is not the first rich man to meet Jesus on this journey to Jerusalem. Another rich man met Jesus in chapter 18, and, and he came to Jesus and asked, How do I go to heaven? And Jesus told him, Well, sell everything you have and come follow me. And the man, knowing he's come to the place where he may have eternal life, chooses instead to have the things of the world. And as he's leaving, Jesus makes a very famous statement. I'll read it to you. It's it's uh, Luke 18, and it's verse 24. Jesus, seeing he had become sad, that's the, the man as he was leaving, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it, that's the disciples who were around, said, Then who can be saved? And listen to this. This is the theme of the next next section of Scripture. All the way till chapter 19, verse 10. What is impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Now, for the longest time, I thought this is where we would put a pin in it so to speak. Uh, This is where we would say, okay, this is one rich man's story, and then in chapter 19, when we get to Zacchaeus, there's another rich man's story, and and that's connected, but I don't want you to miss something that I missed for a long time. What is the very next thing that Jesus talks about in chapter 18? He talks about his death. He says that the Son of Man, and that's important, highlight that or note that in your Bible if you're a note-taker, is going to be betrayed, handed over to the Gentiles. He's going to die, and he is going to rise again. Now let me ask you, how would that sound to the disciples? That Christ would die and rise again? That would probably sound impossible, wouldn't it? But what did they just learn? What is impossible with men is possible with God. And now we're heading to Jericho to meet Zacchaeus, but we meet someone else along the way, on the roadside. It's a blind man, a man who's been blind his whole life. And he comes to Christ and Jesus asks him perhaps the most funny question of the New Testament, what do you want me to do? And the man gives the most obvious answer of the New Testament, I want to see. And Jesus with nothing but a few words, gives the blind man sight. Now let me ask you something. 
a man born blind receiving his sight, not with some amazing medical treatment, but with simple words. Is that possible for men to do? Is that possible for you and me? No, it's not. But what is impossible with men is possible with God. Are you starting to see a theme here? Now let's get to our main passage. And the first thing I want you to see in chapter 19, starting in verse 1, is a man with a heart issue. Let's look. Jesus enters Jericho. That's verse 1. He was passing through. Why is he passing through? Because he is going to Jerusalem. And this is the trip to Jerusalem. This is where Christ's passion will occur, where his crucifixion and resurrection will happen. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. If we read the Bible in context, we also need its historical context. What does it mean that he is a chief tax collector and he is rich? Your Bible may translate that very rich, very wealthy. He, he, he is living a... We, we, in America, we would say he's living his best life. But in its historical context, in its cultural context, what we just learned is that this man has a deep, abiding heart issue. He's got a sin issue, actually. Now you might say, well, Stephen, where is that? It it just says that he was a chief tax collector. And I know, I know, listen, you love the IRS, right? April 15th might as well be a national holiday for you. You know, we trust them. They're efficient. We don't mind if we get audited, right? Because it's such a joy. They would never abuse their position of authority. Would I mean, have I, have I laid it on thick enough yet? Okay, yeah, exactly. You know how you feel about tax collecting. But let's put it in its historical context. Where... Does Zacchaeus live? He lives in a town called Jericho in the province of Judea, which was ruled by Roman governors. That means he is a tax collector, unlike Matthew, who was a tax collector most likely for Herod Antipas. Zacchaeus is working directly for the Romans. And not only that, he's a chief tax collector. That means that he is someone who recruits other young men out of the faithful Jewish community into a faithless life to join him in his sinful tax collecting. Because the Jewish people would have looked at Zacchaeus and seen him as a political traitor, yes. They would have also seen him as a sinner because in order to be a Roman tax collector, he would have lost access to the temple where sacrifices could be made for his sin. He would have lost access to the synagogue Or he could study the Torah and be a part of God's people and have community and fellowship with the people of God. And he would have known this up front. Zacchaeus, before he became a tax collector, would have said, I can have a life of wealth and comfort and ease and all of the desires of this life. Or I can have a relationship with God and be a part of his people and have fellowship with him. And I know that seems like, a, like an easy decision, but can I suggest something to you? 
each and every one of us this week, maybe before this day is over, will face the same choice. Am I going to live in the will of God? Am I going to chase the things of God? Or am I going to live in my will and chase the things of this world? By the way, do you know what we call that? When we choose the things of this world, when we choose to live in our will, when we choose to follow our desires, be that for comfort, ease, pleasure, whatever it is. We call that sin. Zacchaeus had a heart issue we all have. But there's something more here. I don't want you to miss it. It's very subtle. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. How did a tax collector get paid in the Roman system? Here's how. The Roman government would say to Zacchaeus, the tax collector, each adult man owes $10. We're going to do very simple math, okay? I'm a product of Georgia Public Schools. We're We're going to do very easy math here. The Roman government would say each adult man owes $10 in taxes. And the way Zacchaeus made his living was that he would go to each adult man and say, you owe $12. And 10 would go to Caesar. And 2 would go right in Zacchaeus' pocket. Do you understand how this could lead to some corruption? Now what does your Bible say? He was a chief tax collector and he was what? Rich, wealthy, very wealthy. I think it's how the King James translates it. Zacchaeus wasn't just making a living. He was making it big. If Caesar was asking for 10, Zacchaeus was charging 20. And if that seems unfair, think about what would happen if you refused to pay. Tax collectors in the Roman world were known to if you didn't pay your taxes, it wasn't just that they audited you, it wasn't just that they garnished your wages, they were known to hire strong-arm men to come around, and if you didn't pay your taxes, you could have an accident. Do you see what I'm saying? Luca Brazia could come visit you. Is Is that the character from Godfather? Yeah, that's it. You see, we think of Zacchaeus as a tax collector sitting in an office punching numbers. Can I tell you something? His life, his occupation was that of a mob boss, a mafia don, not just a simple government functionary. And he has built a life of wealth, extorting money from his fellow Jews. Are you starting to see Zacchaeus had a deep, Seated, heart issue. This is a greedy, violent man with no regard for God. But there's good news. The man with the heart issue is about to meet the one who can give new hearts. Look what happens. Verse 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Why? Because he's heard about this miracle-working, firebrand, in their mind, the way they would see it, kind of eccentric rabbi who, who will eat with tax collectors, who, who will eat with the dregs of society, who, who isn't afraid to touch lepers and, and even will do a miracle for a Gentile at one point. Maybe if anyone is going to offer Zacchaeus any hope, 
Maybe it's this Jesus he's heard so much about. And so he wants to go and see him, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. Now here's the funny part. This is where it is comical. Zacchaeus is a short man. How short? We don't know. We do know from archaeological evidence the average Roman soldier was about 5 foot 8 inches tall. Okay? Now think about that. I would imagine Roman soldiers were the big burly men of their day, right? So you stop and think about it, you realize, okay, so if the Bible is saying he's short when an average man is probably under 5 foot 8, how short is he? Y'all, he's comically short, okay? And he can't see because of the miracle Jesus just performed. People are crowding around. There's a big push. Everybody wants to see Jesus. And he can't see him. And there's a great lesson here for us. When we have lost friends, family members, co-workers, children who need to get a look at the Christ who can convict them of their sins, convince them that He is the Savior they need, they need, and can change their lives, give them a new heart that leads to eternal life. Satan is going to come and try to crowd out that view. Now, he may come at them with temptation. He may come at them with sin. He may come at them with discouragement. Or it may even just be that life gets crowded sometimes. There's work, and there's family, and there's school, and there's kids. And there's just, there's just all this stuff that's going on. And they know in their hearts, yeah, I, I need something. I'm missing something. And they drive by this church and they go, you know, maybe that's an option I can get to one day. When there's time. And everything just sort of crowds out their chance to see the Savior. And look what happens here. Verse 4, So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Christian, I have a goal for you this week. Be the tree. Be the tree. Now, this might be the strangest illustration you've ever heard in a sermon, but follow me here. A man needs to see Jesus. He can't. So he needs something that can lift him up a little bit, hold him up a little bit, so that he can get a clear, unobstructed chance to see the Savior. Christian, can I tell you something? Can I ask you something? Is the way you live your life and the way you talk to your lost friends, neighbors, and co-workers, Does it it hold them up above Satan's schemes, above the things of this world, above the busyness of life? Does it help them see the Savior? And by the way, it has to be both. It has to be that we live our lives in such a way that they say something is different What's different about you? Why can you have joy in that situation? Why can you smile when our boss is being a jerk? Why can you forgive that person when they did you wrong? I could never do that. It has to be our lives. Because then when that question comes, it opens the way for our words. And we can say, it's because of Jesus. You see, I can forgive because He forgave me. I can have joy because I know no matter what happens in this life, it's only for a minute and my eternity is secure. Christian, this week, let me encourage you. Be the tree. 
Now look what happens in verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. I love how Jesus says that. I must. Why? Because Jesus needed something? No. Zacchaeus needed something. Something only Jesus could give. Here's what I want you to take away from this. Zacchaeus meets the one who can give new hearts. Did Jesus just spot Zacchaeus in the tree? And say, huh, I wonder why that fellow's up there. I'm going to go see what he wants. No. The Bible tells us Jesus comes to the very spot, looks up, knows the name of a man he has never met in his life. The Bible gives us no hint the men have met before. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house today. Christian, can I tell you something? Your salvation was no accident. It wasn't happenstance. You weren't just in the right place at the right time. Your salvation happened because the God of the universe had a plan to meet you in that moment. He already knew your name, knew your need, and knew that you needed Him. You didn't just attend the right evangelism conference. You didn't just attend the right youth camp. It wasn't, though God uses it and uses all these things, it wasn't that the preacher just preached the just right sermon that day. It was because God, through His love and grace, came to the place where you were and called you by the name. Well, Stephen, that's wonderful, but what what does that matter now? It matters because that's why you're here. Christian, do you understand the reason we come to this room on Sunday mornings to worship is because of that moment. Because we remember the God of the universe, the God we had sinned against. Remember, we were all like Zacchaeus. We all had the heart issue. We all chose the things of this world and this life over God at some point. And yet, He saw our need. Called our names. And like the modern worship song says, He called my name and I ran out of that grave. That's why we're here. That's why we worship. I want you to see one more thing. We've seen a man with a heart issue. We've seen the one who can give new hearts. Last thing I want you to see is a man with a new heart. Look at this. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. If you're here today and you have not received Jesus, do not wait. Do not wait. Tomorrow is no guarantee. Another minute, another breath is not promised you. He came down quickly and received him joyfully. Now look what happens. A little time has passed. They've gone back to the house and and here we are in verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone, he being Jesus, has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Can I ask y'all something real quick? Who else was Jesus going to be the guest of? If Jesus wasn't going to be the guest of a sinner, do you know where he was going to eat? By himself. 
There was no one else for him to eat with. Charles Spurgeon, to paraphrase him, said this. He said, the number one thing that will send people to hell is sin. But he said, the second thing that will lead people to hell is self-righteousness. But let's keep going. And Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Two things I want you to take away from this. Number one, has the man's heart changed? Absolutely. Why? He no longer loves his money. He's come to love Christ more than he loves his money. How do I know that? Well, let me ask you something. Do we have, do we have married men in the audience? Married men? Anybody? I'm married. Yep, married, married, married. Do we have married ladies? Here's what I've noticed, by the way, with this illustration. Married ladies, it's usually like... Married men, it's like... But, married men, how many of you have a truck? Anybody got a truck? I got a truck. You got a truck? Good. All right, great. Let me ask you something. What price would you put on your truck? I know how much I paid for mine. I know about how much it's worth. Somebody came along and offered me twice what it was worth. Out the door it goes. I have the memories. And I have kids to put through college. Gentlemen, what price could you put on your wife? The answer is there is none. Don't, 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 even, don't even hesitate. I'll help you out, men. The answer is there is none, right? Why? What's the difference? I mean, you, you like a truck, right? Use it every day. Right? You can't live in this part of Louisiana and not own a truck. What's, what's the difference? You love your wife. You have a truck. Can I tell you all something? You can't give away the thing that you love. If something has your heart, it has you. Let me ask you something. What's the thing in your life that you can't give away? What is the thing that if God said, I need that, you would say, no, Lord, that one's, that's mine. Is it our money? Parents, is it our children? Is it our grandchildren? Is it... Is it that we plan for them to go to medical school and God calls them to the mission field and we're like, well, no, Lord, this child is mine. What is it? What has our heart? Because if Christ has our heart, everything else can go. But there's, I don't want you to miss this. Other, don't miss this. Come here, look at this. Half my goods I give to the poor. The man's heart's changed. He doesn't love his money. He has money, but he doesn't love it. How do we know? He can give it away. But look at this. Don't miss this next thing. We we skip over this. And we shouldn't. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Why is that important? Remember, historical cultural context. In the Jewish context of the first century, the law of Moses required if you defrauded someone, you made full restoration plus a fifth. All right? So you made a full restoration plus 20%. That's what Moses required, or Moses prescribed in the law. Well, God prescribed through Moses. 
But Zacchaeus is saying, not only will I pay back the full amount, I'll pay back four times the full amount. By the way, we said Zacchaeus was very wealthy. How did he get wealthy? Defrauding people. What is Zacchaeus saying? He's saying, I'm going to go broke. And he's happy about it. But do you notice what's there? Why that exuberance? Why not just, I'm going to pay it back plus what the law requires? Because this isn't about obligation. It's about love. He's being obedient out of love for the Savior he's just met. You see, y'all, it's not that we obey Christ's word out of obligation. Or because, well, I'm a Christian now, and Christians do these things. They don't use these words. They don't drink those drinks. They, they don't dance, apparently. And, um, you know, they, they don't watch those movies, and they don't... Is it because there's a rule book somewhere that we... No. No, there are commands, yes, but why do we follow them? Because we are so in love with our Savior. We do them not out of obligation, not out of legalism, not to earn righteousness or heaven, but because we love the one who freely gave righteousness in heaven to us. Last thing. We see the man has a new heart, and Jesus is going to confirm that for us. Look at verse 9. Because everybody else is amazed, right? Everybody else is, is, is bewildered. Because remember, what was the question the disciples had? If this rich man can't be saved, who then can be saved? If it's a camel going through the eye of a needle, who can do it? Well, guess what? The camel just went through the eye of the needle right before their eyes. And Jesus, to confirm what they've just seen, says this in verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. So there's the eternal life, since he is also a son of Abraham. There's the fellowship in God's people. Now, shouldn't the story end there, though? I mean, we've answered the question, right? Can the camel go through the eye of the needle? Absolutely. What is impossible with men? It was possible for God, for Jesus, who is God. He did it. He saved the rich man. But Jesus doesn't end there. Look at it. Don't miss it. This is, this is the most beautiful part of this whole passage. Look at this. What does Jesus say in verse 10? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, we hear that, and we know that Jesus is the Son of Man. We know that Jesus is our Savior, most of us, hopefully. And so, we just say, oh, well, yeah, of course. Of course, that's what, yes, Jesus came to seek and to save the, the lost. Right? That, that's, we, we sing it every Sunday. But understand who's listening. It wasn't 21st century Christians reading their Bibles that were listening. It was 1st century Jewish men who were listening. When they hear the word Son of Man, what do they think? I'm going to flip very quickly to Daniel 7. Really quickly, because I, I, I don't want you to miss this. Daniel chapter 7. Where does this phrase, Son of Man, even come from? Well, I'll read it to you, starting verse 9. Daniel says, As I looked, thrones were placed, 
And the Ancient of Days took his seat. That's God. Skip down to, to verse 10. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him, and thousands of thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. This is a courtroom scene. This is a judgment scene. Not just a judgment. This is the judgment. This is God's judgment on a sinful world. And look who comes on the scene in verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. Coming on the clouds of heaven means what? He's divine. He's God. One like a son of man means he's also human in appearance. He is the God-man. And look what happens. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. In other words, he can approach God confidently, with no shame. Completely and totally. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. To that I will only add, Amen. Do you all understand, in the Jewish mind, when the Son of Man steps in, He's the judge. He's the one who's going to judge the wicked. He's the one who's going to issue God's righteousness, His justice. He's going to make the wrong things right. But in verse 10 of Luke 19... The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And in our minds, don't we say, well, wait. The, the, the judge is going to be the one to pardon? The one who's going to bring justice and judgment is the one who's going to seek and save? That seems impossible, doesn't it? Because do our judges seek and save? No. They seek and punish, don't they? Someone comes before a judge in our system and they're guilty. What do we want the judge to do? Send them to jail. All right, At least in Louisiana. I was recently in New York City where that's kind of going by the wayside. But in fact, if we have a judge who keeps letting guilty people go free, aren't we eventually going to take him out of office and vote him out? Yes, we are. But here... The one who will judge is the one who has come to show mercy, to find the sinner, the man with the heart issue, and to give him a new heart. How is that possible? May I suggest to you that with man, it is impossible. But what have we learned this morning? What is impossible with man is possible with God. Because before He comes in judgment, at His second coming, at His first coming, the Son of Man put on flesh. He lived the life you and I chose not to live. A perfect, sinless life. And then He chose to die the death we deserved. A sinner's death, taking on the full judgment of God. And three days later, when He rose again to eternal life, 
He could extend to us mercy and forgiveness if we'll respond to Him in trust and faith. Can I tell you all, to me, my limited, sin-filled human self, that seems impossible. But praise be to God, what's impossible with me is possible with Him. The question is, when do we want to encounter the Son of Man? Because every single human being will one day. We can encounter Him now, like Zacchaeus. Come to see this one who changes hearts, changes lives, who loves sinners enough to die for them. Or if we wait, if we're like the rich young ruler in the first story, if we're, if we're the rich man who says, no, the things of this earth are fine for me, then one day at His second coming, we'll get to see the Son of Man. Only then it will be too late. The thrones will be placed. The court will sit in session. And then the judgment. Can I ask you today, when would you like to meet the Son of Man? And can I suggest, if you never have, this morning would be the time. Because He's come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's pray together. (coughs) Heavenly Father God, in the next few moments I pray that uh, You would be with us in this place, that You would... uh, Lead each of us just to look into our own hearts and just ask, Have I met the Son of Man who came to seek and to save the lost? Father God, are we like Zacchaeus? Do we have heart issues? Father God, if we're here and we need a new heart, we've never given our heart and lives to Christ, I pray that we would make that decision to, to meet the Son of Man this morning. Father God, maybe we're a Christian and we've let heart issues creep back into our lives. Maybe we need to come to the altar and get that right with you this morning. Father God, if we are a believer, thank you for that. But thank you for the chance this week to go out and to show other Zacchaeuses in our lives a clear, unobstructed view of the Savior through our lives and our words. Be with us in the next few moments as we do business with you. In Jesus' name, amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about the church, including contact information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.